from Beyond Broadway, this is Bruce Dumont with our weekly analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, commentary by Republican attorney Josh Cantro, author of Mellencamp, an American troubadour, progressive writer David Masiotra. Senator Darren Bailey, candidate for governor of Illinois. And a little bit later on in the program, we'll be talking with Kenny Raymeyer of KLBJ and also from Eric Poole of Sharon, Pennsylvania. Our program tonight, thank you very much for joining us. Coming to you from the home base, Salem Radio at, uh, at WYND AM 560 in beautiful Elk Grove Village. Illinois, that's just outside Chicago. Nice to have you with us this evening. And uh, we've got some uh, news to actually some information to provide from last week's program when we built did the big build up to Pennsylvania, where as you know, it's not over yet, but we'll find out what the latest is. We'll also look ahead to the runoff in Texas, which has some big names uh, coming up uh, uh, next Tuesday as well. But thanks very much for joining us also in our second hour this evening. And this is for people that are listening around the United States. Our guest is going to be, and uh, I'm going to ask for, uh, you know, a, a personal forgiveness up front. Uh, we're going to have a man who wants to be the next uh, governor of Illinois. He is a Republican. He is a farmer. He is from downstate Illinois, and uh, we're going to introduce him to you and to our Chicago audience. His name is Senator Darren Bailey. He will be with us uh, during our eight, our second hour this evening on the broadcast. But we begin uh, with our two of our favorite guests who join us via Zoom. Uh, from the right side, we've got Josh Cantro, who's a Republican attorney. And from the left side, we've got David Masiotro, author of uh, a book called Mellencamp, the story of John Cougar Mellencamp, at least once upon a time. He was a cougar, and now he's just a melon camp, and we'll find out more about that as the program unfolds this evening. Uh, that book is now out in paperback. Uh, gentlemen, it has been a long time since you've been on together, and I don't think you've been on much since uh, the situation in Russia and Ukraine. So my question to each of you, after a couple of months with uh, this uh, war raging on uh, you know, across the world, I want to get your reaction insofar as whether or not you think the people that you deal with uh, on a daily basis, are they already tired of this? Are they pleased with our U.S. policy of providing literally billions of dollars uh, in, in war armaments uh, to this war? But uh, it doesn't appear that there is an end in sight. David Masiotra, let's, uh, let's find out what uh, your folks on the left side are thinking about this war. Thanks for having me back, Bruce. Uh, it's a pleasure. Um, unfortunately, uh, there's a certain strain of parochialism throughout American culture, and it certainly infects the left and right alike. And the concern is that the longer this war uh, continues, the shorter the attention span of the American public becomes and the less people will generally care. Uh, I feel that the Biden administration, uh, along with the Congress, uh, is walking a tightrope because uh, the U.S. should not get involved on the ground level. And furthermore, there's no political appetite for that. Uh, but at the same time, it can't do nothing. It can't watch a war criminal uh, massacre an entire country and try to uh, conquer it by fiat. So uh, armaments, 
and diplomatic pressures and sanctions are really all that the administration can do. And so far, I think the United States government is walking that tightrope pretty well. Uh, but you're going to be able to see the population throughout the U.S., left and right, grow restless and impatient. Josh Cantrow, to you, uh, how do the conservatives that uh, you engage with, and also independents and Democrats, uh, how do they view and is their patience uh, on this war waning at all? I, I agree with uh, a lot of what David said, and I would say that uh, that it is starting to wane a little bit. I am concerned uh about that, and I think that as the U.S. economy, if we are really going into recession, and you see the stock market is taking a big dive, which affects a lot of Americans, um, if the if unemployment inches up and the economy falters and the inflation continues to run out of control, I, I wonder whether there's going to be a real appetite in America. Uh, among Americans and among their elected representatives to keep funneling billion, tens of billions of dollars to Ukraine when we have so much trouble here. That's what I'm hearing. I'm hearing rumblings of that more and more. Is it more of a Republican concern uh, than a Democrat concern? Uh, which no. is traditionally the anti-war party is, is the Democrats. But in this particular case, I mean, there's a lot of noted uh, conservatives, including obviously Tucker Carlson, who question the wisdom of this whole thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I have a wide range of friends across the political spectrum, and I'm hearing this from independents, moderates, Democrats, and Republicans. But I would agree with you that there is a strand in the Republican Party, um, you know, represented by Tucker Carlson. Mm -hmm. It's commentary, which really was not into this war from the beginning. But if you look at the actual votes in Congress, on the other hand, there's overwhelming Republican support. And Mitch McConnell and the Republican leadership have been solidly behind funding and arming Ukraine. But I wonder if that's going to continue. And I'm not talking just from a Republican standpoint, but across the, the ideological spectrum. David Messiotra, to you, I know you're not a big fan of Tucker Carlson's, uh, but is his articulation of opposition to this war, uh, does does that ring true to a lot of progressives? Unfortunately, it does. Uh, there's a strange horseshoe effect where the, the far left and the far right will occasionally uh, grab hold right. of the same idea, but coming at it from different angles, of course. <laughs> And uh, the far left has proven itself rather useless and destructive uh, on the Ukrainian issue because they're so accustomed to reflexively opposing U.S. policy that they can't seem to square that here we're the good guys and we're on the side of what is right and necessary and noble. And Tucker Carlson is uh, parroting Putin propaganda. Uh, so it creates this strange alliance. Uh, you don't see it in the Congress. Josh is right. Uh, Democrats overwhelmingly in Congress, like Republicans, are supportive of providing aid to the Ukraine. But you see it on punditry, especially uh, in the podcast sphere, social media, mm -hmm. uh, the Internet, and so forth. Do you think this will be an issue in the fall, Josh? Are people going to vote uh, one way or the other way come November? 
I think it's going to be a relatively minor issue in the fall. I think, you know, James Carville said it best 25, 30 years ago, is the economy stupid. And that's what it's going to be about in the fall. And I think that Americans are going to have to ask themselves, are they better off than they were two years ago, as Ronald Reagan uh, put it, except he used four, obviously. And I think that's the Republican's strongest message, quite frankly. If we have the continued inflation and crime and the borders out of control and um i want to find out i want to find out from david uh, where he feels those other issues how they're uh, playing out uh, with the voters at least at this point several months before the election i'm bruce dumont don't go away you're listening to beyond the beltway no word in the english language is less convincing than probably are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, <laughs> tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest. And then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council.
Dumont back. Uh, David Masiotra. Uh, Josh Cantro had a, a litany of uh, uh, possible issues that will come up. Uh, which ones do you think will have the most legs? And uh, uh, how are the Democrats going to respond just to the issue of let's pick illegal immigration? What is the Democrat position to stopping people from pouring into the country from Central America through Mexico? Well, I'll t take your questions in the order you presented them. Uh, I agree with Josh that the major issues will be those in the economic uh, category in the midterms. And uh, whenever things are going poorly, uh, the voting public has a tendency to fairly or unfairly uh, blame the party that holds power. So that's a big hurdle for the Democrats to jump. I don't think it's impossible, uh, but they certainly need to improve their communicative strategy and their political tactics if they expect to have much success. Well, uh, what, but, what, well let, me, let me just interject. What should they be doing? I mean, you, you followed the debate uh, since Biden got elected. Uh, you've certainly followed some of the tel television coverage, which is not very positive. Uh, and, and yet uh, thousands of people or tens of thousands of people are still pouring into the country. I think there's confusion on the part of the American people as to what is happening to them when they hit the border. And then there are the stories of people being put on planes in the middle of the night and sent to clandestine locations uh, to be released. Now, again, uh, if, if, if you're for law and order and you want to you know, stop this free flow of traffic from uh, South America and Mexico, I mean, you've got to be looking for someone with authority to, to make some policy that stops that. And I, I haven't seen it, and I'm wondering whether you've seen it. Um, no, it's, it's, a, it's a terribly difficult issue because if you look at the amount of border crossing happening right now, uh, contrary to popular belief, it's actually about the same level that it was during the Trump administration pre-COVID. And this comes after the Clinton administration, the Bush administration, the Obama administration, and certainly the Trump administration all successively uh, imposed harsher border measures. Uh, so it's a terribly difficult issue uh, to solve. Uh, however, I would add that uh, the, the consequences of it are grossly exaggerated. Uh, but what, often politics way? is perception, in, in and if the way, voters in perceive in it as way? a severe crisis, in what in what in what way do you think it's exaggerated? I mean, are, are the uh, are the uh, are the photographs doctored? Uh, I mean, is is Fox News only showing the American people one side of this story? And I, I want Josh to weigh in on this as well because th this this is an issue that is being uh, certainly. Uh, uh, in, implanted in the American mindset because of all the visuals. I mean, we're, we're, no, we're seeing... I, go ahead, David, finish. What I mean by the, the consequences are exaggerated, not that the photos are doctored or the numbers are doctored, uh, but that the economic fallout isn't nearly as significant as the Republican Party would present it. Uh, the criminality of illegal immigrants uh, isn't nearly as significant as the Republican Party would present it. The reason that the average American household is struggling financially is because wages have been largely stagnant for uh, 20 years. 
the cost of living is increasing, and we've seen a dramatic reduction in uh, opportunities for upward mobility, such as college education, okay, because so it's gotten more but, expensive. But, but, but let me ask None you, of that relates to illegal get, immigrants. Dave, I want to get uh, Josh. He's waving. He wants to get in. Uh, Josh, go ahead. Yeah, I, I, I just want to say this, that the border, the chaos at the border plays in well with the economic message that the Republicans want to deliver, because at a time when the economy is faltering, when we could be in a recession or close to one, when there could be stagflation, continued inflation, et cetera, the middle America, the moderates and the independents and the more conservative Democrats and even moderate Democrats are not going to like to see that we don't have the border under control because they're going to perceive that we're having to pay for the care of these illegal migrants that are coming across the country. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you among my Latino friends who came here legally, their patience with this situation, they're, they're done. They, they feel like the administration has lost control. They waited in line and they came here illegally. And so they don't like to see what's happening either. And I think that coincides nicely with polls that are showing that the parties are about dead even with the Hispanic vote right now, and uh, Latinos are moving more and more toward but the Republican do you want, side. But do you want to see a more aggressive uh, effort by the federal government and state governments to go in and find these people who are illegally here, root them out, and send them back home? Because what happens is yes. that uh, that initial thing that was supposed to happen at the border, uh, you know, it, it hasn't happened much at the border. So they get on buses, they get on planes, they go they go into the hinterlands of the country, and uh, they're hard to find. I mean, they may have an anklet bra bracelet on them, they may have a court date to show up for an immigration uh, case, but uh, a lot of them don't show up. So they're, you well, know, they're... Right, they're, let, let, I, I said yes in response to your question earlier, but if the government put them on a bus or a plane then I don't want to see them then deported because they've already, you know, that's not humane. The government has said, okay, we're going to put you on a bus and a plane, but you have to show up for, for your court date. If they don't show up for the court date, that's when I want them, you know, found and deported because they're not following the rules at that point. It would be preferable that we didn't so have they, to so they, the so Josh, in your case, they have to they have to break the law twice before they get your attention. They have to break into the. I'm going to use the term break in. They've got to sneak into the country. That breaks one law. Then they have to follow the directions of the DHS or Immigration and Naturalization. Then they go deeper into the country, and then if they don't show up for their their court hearing. Then they violate another law, and that's when you say, "All right, no more nice guy." You let them. No, you let them have I, two shots at the. I say the apple. no more nice guy when they illegally cross into the country. I want them deported right then and there. Oh, I have okay. a problem with the government then putting them on planes and buses. Okay, okay. I misunderstood what but, you said. But if they do. If the government has decided that's what they're going to do and then they have to show up for the court date, then that becomes the next opportunity. If they're not going to follow the law then, 
to be deported. So I'm not in favor of the planes and buses. I want to make that very clear. David, are you? I want to go back to something you said because you think there's been an overstatement on the connection between illegal immigration and, let's say, rising crime. Are are you saying that uh, the increase in either drug traffic or fentanyl uh, involvement in these cases is overstated by the government? Are they doing it deliberately to to scare the hell out of people? Well, that's certainly the case. Some people do it deliberately to frighten people, but. There are multiple studies demonstrating that immigrants, legal and illegal, right. uh, if, if you, of course, don't count the misdemeanor of entering the country illegally, yeah. uh, commit crime at lower rates than natural-born citizens. So, uh, for example, we all have connection to Chicago. Almost all of the violence taking place in Chicago, so much of which is horrific, uh, is happening due to natural-born citizens who've lived in Chicago their entire lives. Yes. Uh, that's what I'm referring to. Uh, by the way, the, the, that, that report of uh, that immigrants create uh, commit less crime uh, than, than natural citizens, how old is that report? I know those on your side of the political spectrum, you quote that every time there's an argument like this, but h- how old is that report? Do you know? There, there are multiple sure. reports. I mean, this is based on FBI crime uh, statistics, but, but, but which come out every from year. From what year? From what year, though? I mean, do I, I, I want to know how relevant that is, because I, I think that that may be absolutely correct. But I don't think a lot of Americans believe that because some of the cases involving illegal immigrants become high visibility cases and high visibility cases sometimes can create a false uh, impression or a false narrative. But on the other hand, I'm not so sure that, uh, you know, every person that uh, has come to this country illegally is as, uh, you know, uh, a, as great a citizen and more law-abiding than uh, uh, Joe and Mabel average citizen who were raised here. I don't know that as a fact. Well, that's... Josh, uh... Josh go ahead. You want yeah. to... Look, I, w- I was just going to say, I, I've heard about these studies. Some of them are quite old. And some of them really don't break down between illegal migrants and legal immigrants. So let's forget about legal immigration. I'm in favor of that, and I think most Republicans are. What we're talking about are people who come here, and as Bruce said when he was questioning me earlier, they've already broken the law by entering this country illegally. So that's already one criminal act. And then, as we know, it's hard to track them. It's hard to know what they're doing and what they're not, but there's certainly reports of illegal migrants committing horrific crimes here. And one is too many because they shouldn't be here in the first place. Mm-hmm. So it gets back to a law and order message. Okay. It's and law and that, order. And on that note, that law and order note, we, we do have to break for uh, some commercial breaks coming up. David Masiotra and Josh Cantra are joining us in this hour. When we come back, we'll continue this discussion, and we'll also bring into the conversation Eric Poole. He is from Sharon, Pennsylvania, and he's going to bring us up to date on the Senate race there, which at the moment, uh, they do not have a Republican candidate uh, for the U.S. Senate. Don't go away. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. 
It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and Ad Council. We come back to Beyond the Beltway, and uh, at this moment, we're going to let each of our Zoom guests take a moment and introduce themselves. And we're going to begin with Josh Cantro, who uh, you're not Bruce, in Illinois. Bruce, thanks for having me on the show. Again, um, it's great to be here as always. I, uh, I'm a Republican. I'm an attorney uh, practicing in the technology and cybersecurity space. I've got um, active uh, Facebook blog where I do a lot of blogging about politics, and I write in American Thinker and a few other publications. Um, and it's great to be back with David again. As a security uh, lawyer, let me ask, is is our ability to fight uh, a cyber war? Is it getting better? Is it getting worse? Are there more uh, more competition out there? Uh, how would you describe that that piece of uh, 
the war that we are at in this country? Well, there's no country better at it than America. So that's the good, the good news. But there are more countries that are entering the field. It used to be dominated by former Soviet Union, Soviet bloc countries, and China. But now you have Iran, North Korea, Russia itself, and uh, and many more entrants into the field, and then non-state actors as well. So the big debate in the cybersecurity field right now is this. You know, the United States has the best defensive capability in the world, but we have so many threats coming at us right now that um, the question is really, should we be going on offense more to deter some of these countries from coming after us? Um, Because as they say, um, you know, a good offense can help lead to... um, a more uh, robust defense as well. So, but, uh, but, but, but in this particular case, uh, um, if the United States, as you say, is, is, is in pretty good shape as of the moment, at least it has not been publicly reported. There hasn't been too much evidence of Russian involvement uh, and use, utilizing their, their skills uh, against the United States in retaliation to our involvement in providing weapons uh, to the Ukraine. And there hasn't been much about what the Ukraine has been up to, and they have a pretty impressive record of uh, involved in, in, in digital uh, warfare. So my question to you is, are these things not happening, or do we just not know about it yet? Well, we, we may not know about it, but I can tell you from in the cybersecurity world and the people that I deal with, pretty much everybody is surprised that there haven't been more reported incidents um, of Russia coming against the United States. And the suspicion is, is that they're just not doing it like we thought they would if the U.S. were to arm uh, and fund the Ukrainian war effort. That doesn't mean that could change. I mean, that 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 will stay. That doesn't mean that that will stay the same. It certainly could change. Um, and we have to be on the lookout and vigilant at all times. Okay, let's go to David. David, uh, tell us a little bit more about yourself other than being a best-selling author. Well, I'm a uh, returning champion here at Beyond the Belt. <laughs> the way, it's always uh, fun and great to be with you. Uh, I, the rumor is true. Uh, I am an author. I've written uh, several books. Uh, the most recent ones are I Am Somebody, Why Jesse Jackson Matters, which came out in 2020. Uh-huh. And now uh, you're kind enough to show Mellencamp American Troubadour, uh, which was originally published in 2015, but is now available in an updated uh, paperback edition. And it features a great new forward in which I describe a day I spent with Mellencamp and his band at his recording studio uh, in Nashville, Indiana. What is what is, what is so unique about John Cougar Mellencamp? He's always Cougar Mellencamp to me. What was it about him that made him so unique that you wanted to do a whole book on him? There's some T-shirts that say, I knew him when he was Cougar. I'll, I'll get one of those for you, Bruce. Uh, I'd like it. <laughs> but uh, I just... I discovered Mellencamp's music when I was 13 years old, and it started my love affair with music. It started my love affair with rock and roll, and then with the arts more broadly. And as someone who grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, I could uh, 
in addition to just enjoying the greatness of his music, I could relate to uh, his stories of small town Indiana. So, for example, he has a beautiful song called Minutes to Memories about his grandfather. When I play it, it, to me, it's about my grandfather. So I recognized my family, my loved ones, myself uh, in his music, and I wanted to tell that story in this book. Okay. Uh, we are welcoming to our uh, microphones and our TV show right at the moment uh, a guest who was here last week. Uh, he is Eric Poole, and I invite our guests, uh, uh, David and Josh, to join in. Eric is the editor of the Sharon, uh, Pennsylvania Herald. We had him on last week to give uh, an update on what was likely to happen in the Commonwealth of Pettis, Pennis, Pennsylvania in their gubernatorial and their senatorial primaries this past week. Eric, uh, at the moment, uh, no one knows who the Republican nominee for uh, for the Senate is going to be, and uh, how close is that race, and uh, how long will it take before uh, the world knows who the GOP nominee is? Well, um, right now, uh, oh, thanks for thanks for bringing me back uh, Good. for uh, this week. Good. The uh, the margin right now between uh, Dr. Oz and David McCormick is about 1,200 votes out of almost thir- almost uh, 1.3, or uh, out of more than 1.3 million votes cast. And, and, and McCormick so is ahead? McCormick is ahead? Uh, what's that? Mccormick is ahead? He has the 1,200? Uh, uh, no, Oz is ahead. Oz is I'm ahead. I'm sorry. Okay. Oz, Oz sure. is ahead by about 1,200 votes. All right. But, uh, and, they're, and they're getting ready to count, and a lot of counties will be counting... Uh, the overseas and military ballots this week. Mm-hmm. That uh, might be, since it's going to be heavy on the military, that might be an advantage to McCormick, who's a graduate of West Point and a form, former officer in the 82nd Airborne uh-huh. Division. Um, the and this this is nor this is normally something that is almost an afterthought. It just, it, it, but with a 1,200 vote margin. There might be enough votes out there to swing this to swing this uh, this thing. In any event, Pennsylvania has a Pennsylvania's uh, election law uh, calls for an automatic recount if the um, if the margin is uh, zero is point is half a percentage point or less. Mm-hmm. And right now they're about they're they're less than they're they're about eight one hundredth of one percent apart. If there is if so there if I, there is if there is this state dictated uh, automatic a recount, is that something that the state pays for, or do the candidates have to pay for that, or or does the candidate who's leading has to pay for that? I, unless I'm sorely mistaken, the the automatic recount would be uh, would be funded by taxpayers. Okay. Now, if one if one or the other can if it fell outside that margin. And one of the other candidates asked for a recount. That candidate would have to pay for it. Now, each each candidate uh, obviously it was a very bitter race. Uh, McCormick was ahead for a while, and then Donald Trump endorsed uh, Dr. Oz, and then Dr. Oz came roaring back, but he didn't quite uh, make it uh, on at least on the in the first ballot. So my question to you is: Have have these two guys publicly stated that they will support the winner of the recount? 
or or is everyone sort of uh, standing fast on the sidelines, not wanting to uh, uh, to, to say whether or not there there's going to be a united Republican Party uh, in the fall? Um, nobody has said nobody has said they're going that, that I'm aware of has said they're going to support the winner if it's not them. Uh-huh. But I have a I have, I have a feeling that they'll that they'll eventually come in. Right right now it's still up in the air as to who's going to who's going to be the winner. So and last I heard, Kathy Barnett, who finished third, said she's not going to support the winner if it's not. Said she might not support the winner if it's not her. Oh. I I have a feeling that whoever that that the rest of the party is going to get behind whoever wins. This, this I don't think this is like the gubernatorial race where uh, where a couple candidates and and the and the Republican establishment tried to uh, push uh, Lou Barletta past, uh, unsuccessfully uh-huh. tried to push Lou Barletta past, uh, past Doug Mastriano. Well, it seems to me that the, the national news media, uh, which obviously was amused that the Senate race turned out to be as close as it was, and they didn't, you know, they were very fearful. They didn't want to give Donald Trump any uh, extra uh, you know, kudos uh, if if he happened to pick the right winner. So they're they're kind of licking their chops that uh, they don't have that story to write at least as of the moment. But they seem to be beside themselves that uh, Mastriano ended up uh, winning the, uh, the the primary for governor. And uh, at least according to what the national news media is sort of whining about this week, is that n- nobody thinks he can he can win this race. Is that something? Do you think this race is sort of because of his background, and he is he is an election denier, uh, and he's very he was supported by Donald Trump. Uh, is is he a tough ticket to sell in the Keystone State in the fall? Uh, just like any just like any uh, statewide election in Pennsylvania, it's all going to depend on turnout. Uh-huh. If if Democrats vote, they'll they'll probably win. Okay. They uh. And if they don't, then they probably won't. Tell us about um, the Democratic nominee uh, for governor. Oh, right. Uh, John Fetterman. And uh, he's... Uh, no, that's for the Senate, though, right? Break. That's for the Senate. Oh, I'm sorry. The Democratic nominee for... Yeah, he's governor. You were asking me about Josh Shapiro. Yes. Who's the, uh, I need 10 seconds on him. Go ahead. The Who's the current um, attorney general. And he's... Uh, Running a he's running a uh, fighter for the little guy campaign. Okay. At least when I saw him a couple weeks ago. We've got a pause. Thanks very much for that update from Pennsylvania. I'm Bruce Dumont. Back with more from Illinois and our guests in a moment. Thanks. Let's be Thank honest. The National Symphony may not be in his future, but he wanted to try violin. So you said yes because you love him. And if you love him that much, love him enough to make sure he's buckled up and in the back seat. Find out more about keeping your kids safe in your vehicle at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. What if the music stopped? If the familiar voices were silenced? If there were no breaking news updates? What if your companion and connection to your community came with a monthly fee? Don't worry, we're free local radio with you wherever you go. Celebrating 100 years and looking forward to the next 100. We are broadcasters. Text radio to 52886 and let Congress know you depend on your local TV and radio stations. This message furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters. 
One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. We still went back. And just a clarification, it is Josh Shapiro, who was the Democratic candidate for uh, governor uh, in uh, Pennsylvania. We got that right, uh, Eric? Are you still there? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I just want to make. I just want to make. Josh Shapiro is the Democratic nominee. Right. He's the current um, Attorney General. Right. And uh, when you look at Pennsylvania as a state, and by the way, I'm going to ask David Masiotra and Josh Cantrell if they have a question they want to pop up. Just raise your hand, and I'll bring you into the conversation. Um, uh, Mastriano obviously is Italian. Isn't being Italian? Isn't that a big plus? in Pennsylvania politics, or, or is that is that an idea from 20 years ago? Um, I don't know that people pay as much attention to that as they as they once did. Okay. Um, but, uh, in, and again, I think, uh, I, I think it's, it's an advantage, especially in the rural, uh, mm-hmm. in the, in the rural precincts is that he's got that R next to his name. Right. And and the the candidate for governor, uh, and he is the person that had a stroke uh, on the eve of election of the primary, uh, John Fretterman. Uh, he, he is about the most unorthodox candidate that I can think of running in Pennsylvania. He's a real he's a blue collar guy. He looks he talks in a very in a blue collar way, and I mean that with no disrespect at all. But he certainly doesn't sound like uh, a guy who's going to be enjoying himself sitting around the. Uh, you know, having uh, you know wine and cheese somewhere in Philadelphia, he wants to be out there uh, rolling r- rolling in the dirt with the people out uh, in Western Pennsylvania. Is that a 
good assessment of who this guy is and the fact that, uh, you know, because of that, he may be picking up on a cultural basis. He may be picking up a lot of people that maybe maybe personally like Donald Trump. That's that's a possibility. But he also is known, especially in Pennsylvania, as being a uh, a Sanders Democrat. Okay, a, a more a more progressive Democrat. He's uh, he campaigned on Sanders' behalf in the, in the 2016 and 2020 uh, primary elections in Pennsylvania, and he's uh, he, but he's uh, you know he's promised to back the Green New Deal and uh, okay. other uh, other type uh, the parts of the Biden agenda. Okay, David Masiotra has a question. Uh, David, uh, you want to comment on uh, Fetterman's at least. Uh, uh, his his appearance as sort of a a, a cultural uh, you know blue collar guy, whereas politically well, he might be more left than uh, you would like him to be. No, no, there's nobody that's more left than you would like him to be. I pull that back. Well, there certainly He's are many. Uh, but well, first I'm disappointed that Italian ethnicity isn't helpful on a gubernatorial race in Pennsylvania. I guess that rules me out. Uh, but my question isn't about Fetterman. It's Local media is so important, and unfortunately, uh, it's in tough shape in the United States. So I would ask our guest, uh, what does the national media, New York Times, CNN, Fox, etc., miss about what's going on on the ground politically uh, in Pennsylvania that, that you see very clearly because you're there reporting on the ground? Eric? Well, I, I mean, and and we've been uh, we we've been fortunate here in Mercer County to have seen a lot of the a lot of the candidates. Uh, the the uh, Republican Senate field held a debate at Grove City College, which is uh, at in south southeastern Mercer County. Uh, in the week before the election, both Josh Shapiro and John Fetterman. Stopped in, stopped in the county, and I think that uh, I, I think right now the, the 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 last two election the last two presidential elections Mercer County went for uh, Donald Trump by roughly two to one margin. The 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 Democrats in the local Democrats appear to be trying to focus on getting their getting uh, their people out to vote because Democrats have. A reputation, to some extent justified, of uh, not not voting every time out. Um, the the Democrats I see now are more. They've been they've been more. They, there's a sense of urgency there that hasn't been there before, but Republicans have that same sense of urgency. Uh, go, going back to 2016, to talk about the the 9/11 election where. You know the the the, the terror that Obama represents the people looking to crash the plane and destroy um, traditional American values, and we have to take the plane back. And that's what the, that to some extent is what the 2016 election represented. Mm -hmm. Josh Cantrell um, has Josh Cantrell has a question yeah, for you. So my, right. So my question is this: um, on the ground, what is the sense of who is the more electable Republican Senate candidate, Oz or McCormick? Republicans have a history 
uh, uh, throwing uh, away um, winnable elections back in 2010 in the Senate, Nevada, Indiana, Missouri, um, and I had one other state, mm -hmm. Delaware, uh, in a year when they won 63 House seats, I believe. So um, do you have a sense of who is the more winnable, who is the more electable candidate in the general election? Um, I think, uh, I think it's, uh, of the two, I think it's McCormick, uh, McCormick, he has the, uh, he has the military background. He has a government background The uh, he was an appoint he, he served in an appointed position in the, uh, George W. Bush administration. Um, so I think that, I think that's the, um, that, that's going to pull the establishment Republicans in. Mm -hmm. He's uh, he, he's talked he's talked a good uh, Trump game when I've seen him. Uh, that I think he'll that I think the uh, the Trump Republicans will uh, even the ones who voted for Oz. I think they'll cross over and vote for McCormick. Yeah, because the, a lot of Trump people were not very happy with uh, Trump's endorsement of Dr. Oz. They were they were questioning that because because there had been a good relationship between McCormick and Trump in the past, although Trump obviously did not endorse him. Uh, Eric Poole, thank you very much. Uh, we'll continue to keep an eye on Pennsylvania. We'll wait for the, uh, uh, the recount to take place. And thanks very much for joining us. The editor of the Sharon Pennsylvania Herald, back with Darren Bailey, who wants to be governor of Illinois in a moment. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. 145 over 92. 
180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Booster Mart back. We continue with Beyond the Beltway this evening, and uh, uh, we are joined uh, this evening for the next hour by uh, uh, Senator Darren Bailey. Uh, he wants to be called Governor uh, Darren Bailey. He is uh, a Republican nominee, a Republican candidate for the Republican nomination for Governor of Illinois. There's six people running in a primary coming up at the end of June, and uh, we welcome him to Beyond the Beltway, making his uh, first appearance. Nice to have you with us. It's an honor to be here. I'd like to begin because uh, for those, by the way, just around around the country, before you, you, you switch to another channel because uh, maybe Darren isn't someone you can vote for, he is a conservative He's running for one of the largest states in the union, and he wants to retire probably uh, the country's leading liberal governor. So that may, may that may keep you involved in this conversation, because who knows, Darren may say something, you maybe want to send him a few bucks for his campaign. So uh, just to let you know that, uh, again, we are speaking to a national audience. Uh, Darren, one of the things that I've heard uh, about you, and this is the first time we've met, is there is concern from some people in Chicago which where most of the votes come from in this state, that because you you live and represent a district, you know, four hours away, that you don't quite grasp the power and the influence and uh, the movers and shakers in Chicago. And you will you will be uh, you'll be like a fish out of water should you be nominated as the Republican nominee. So put people who have that concern, try to put their mind at ease with your comment about that. Are you, are you worried about it? No, I'm not. Um, I'm a farmer, farmed all of my life, and I like mm-hmm. to remind people of what farmers do. Uh, farmers solve problems. Farmers fix things that are broken. Farmers grow things. And as a matter of fact, about 250 years ago, this nation was established by a bunch of farmers, and I think they did a pretty good job. So You know, I sued Governor Pritzker over the lockdowns and the mandates uh, two years ago now. Mm -hmm. I stood up against the mask mandate as a a House uh, member, and we began to, attention was drawn to us. So then we were invited throughout the state and up in Chicago many times at uh, uh, open school, open business, uh, open the church rallies, and people began to find hope in our message because that's what our message is. It's a mm-hmm. message of hope. It's a message of people. Let's take back our government. And so I wouldn't expect anything any different from, as you said, the movers and shakers of Chicago, uh, good people. But here's the deal. The Republican Party in the state of Illinois 
and the Republican Party across our nation has lost its way because people have, have become enamored with power. People have become too complacent. People are, are making too many deals with the Democrats. Our Republican Party, we have got an amazing message. We've got, every, we've got the answers to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness all within our platform. We're the party of Lincoln. This is where this all started from. And all we have to, what we're lacking is leadership. So uh, although I understand I'm fighting against that mindset right now, I can assure you there's a grassroots movement across the state, and I believe ultimately across this nation that's going to take it back. Have you experienced, however, a, a, a feeling of uh, uh, discrimination? Because you, you, you talk with a southern twang, uh, you are a farmer, uh, you may solve problems, but you know a lawyer might look at that as a farmer. Well, that's a guy that gets his fingernails dirty, uh, and and there is a there is a sophistication or an arrogance or a snootiness that exists. It exists in politics, and I'm just wondering to what extent have you experienced that in the years that you've sent, spent in Springfield thus far? Oh, absolutely. I've been called a hick, a hickerbilly, a, a Kentuckian, and and I'm gonna tell you again. Uh, it's time for the people of this state and this nation to, to step up. And all people are searching for hope. They're, they're searching mm-hmm. for bold and courageous leadership. And that's what I bring to the table. And that's where that's why I'm here, because I've, I've broadcast that. I've been very vocal about the problems of state government here in Illinois. And people, they just want to be told the truth. They want to be a part of the process. And I've been able to do that in two short years as a, as a state representative and now a year and a half as a state senator. You're also a devout Christian. Do you feel that you've run into discrimination because of that? Because there may be a lot of people, they may be of a different religion, but even if they're Christians, they may not understand the devoutness that you have. You and your wife run a Christian school. You may be a little too religious for them. I'm going to tell you something. I thought that might be an issue. And, 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 and I've went, Cindy and I have went into many meetings where we were just going to focus on uh, politics, I can tell you what, everywhere we've been, people are looking for that hope. Proverbs 28.2 says, when there is moral rot in a nation, its government topples easily, but wise and knowledgeable leaders bring stability. People across this state, the churches are waking up. You know, there's a gross misunderstanding with this whole idea of separation church and state. And, And when we simply back up and do a brief study of our history, well, we realized that our nation was, number one, founded upon men and women searching for religious mm-hmm. freedom. And we realized that 250 years ago, it was the church that stood up against the greatest army on the face of this earth and demanded true freedom. Mm-hmm. And we were warned by our forefathers. You know, we were warned by, by people like Ben Franklin and Abraham Lincoln that if we didn't stay engaged, we were going to lose this amazing constitutional republic. Mm-hmm. We're there. And I'm the one that's, uh, that's been standing up calling people to, to, hey, let's get involved, let's get our hands dirty with this thing called politics, and let's take it back. Uh, for those listening around the country, if you lived in Illinois, you couldn't go 10 minutes on television without seeing an ad uh, either for you or in, in, in Illinois or Chicago, at least against you. And one of the things that's been said is that you're, you're too conservative for Illinois. You're, you're pro-life, you support the Second Amendment, uh, they show you shooting, uh, you know, Shooting something, I don't know. Blowing the budget but, up. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, but uh, speak to that. And by the way, this is a message that is being sponsored by the Democrat 
Governors Association. Yeah, I think the so whole. So are they trying to are they trying to warn people or are they trying to scare people? So I think the whole idea is that Pritzker thinks that I'm the, might be the easiest candidate to beat. And here's the here here's the deal. Um, people that both parties are Republican Party and our Democrat Party. They have lost touch with the people uh, ever since my lawsuit against Pritzker when we won and we Cindy and I have been traveling the state for the last two years. We realize people are coming out that have been Republicans. People are coming out that have never voted or been involved. People are coming out that have voted for Biden or voted for a, mm-hmm. a Pritzker and they're saying this isn't working. Soft Democrats are coming out. People are coming out of the woodworks. They want to be part of a movement. And I tell you what, I'm going to I'm going to tell you right now what we're going to do, number one, on June 28th, and then ultimately on November 8th, we are going to eclipse what took place in Virginia. Uh, because, but because the Democrat Party, the Republican Party, they have no idea who these people are because they've stayed focused on their own little agendas that are destroying our freedoms. In a, in a primary uh people dig and they they look for different things uh one of the things that's been said in the commercials that are out there against you is that you voted for joe biden is that true no it's absolute nonsense they have your voice they've it's copied taped and pasted here's what here's where they're getting this from 2000 and by the way let let me just say this is going to take a while to to set up i want you to be able to set that up without interrupting your commercial so uh, 1-800-723-8289, wherever you're listening around the country, or if you're listening in Illinois, 1-800-723-8289. Uh, Darren Bailey is here. He wants to be the next governor of Illinois. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive. But our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources at aarp.org caregiving. 
A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Bruce Dumont back and we're talking with Darren Bailey who wants to be the Republican candidate for governor of Illinois. Um, for those listening around the country, they may not know that uh, we have a multi-billionaire in Illinois. His name is Ken Griffin. And he has invested at least $50 million to put someone other than yourself in the governor's seat. Uh, and he's had some success in the past with Bruce Rauner, uh, the former governor of Illinois, uh, who was defeated by uh, J.B. Pritzker. So my question to you is, have you ever met Ken Griffin? I have not. So he gives $50 million to some guy, and he doesn't even sit down to find out whether he agrees or disagrees with you. I think he was sold a bill of goods by the same people that supported Governor Rauner that are that have came to the table and brought the mayor of Aurora to the table. And uh, they've told him that uh, this is the person, this is how we win. And uh, they're pretty slick with how they do things. And I think he bought into it. So I yeah. fully expect his support once we win the primary. And he recently said that he was going to leave Illinois because of the crime in Chicago. Right. The crime is a, is the number one issue across the entire state. People what, don't feel safe. What can a governor do to stop crime? Oh, gosh. First of all, a governor can stand up and, 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 and talk about the issue. A governor has the ability to, to, to get more funding to our police force. A governor has the ability to come up with the ideas uh, to, uh, you know, Governor Pritzker, during the lockdown, during the uh, uh, riots in Chicago, mm -hmm. uh, if I were governor, then I would have been there myself, boots on the ground, and the Illinois National Guard and the Illinois State Police would have been there. Can you imagine what might have been different for the city of Chicago and the state of Illinois if when those riots were taking place, uh, you know, police presence uh, was known and, and much of this destruction was stopped? Many businesses have moved out of Chicago and and, and many entrepreneurs would love to have business. Right now, one of the number one complaints in the city of Chicago mm -hmm. is small business owners who, who are having their, mm -hmm. you know, sodas and candy bars looted every day, and they can't do anything about it. So, no, instead of defunding the police, we will defend the police, and we will make it, uh, uh, we will make it. Uh, now, to summarize, by the way, let me mention, I, I live three blocks from, from this incident at uh, basically Michigan and Chicago Avenue, which is where a lot of the, the, the stop and grab uh, and violence took place. That whole stretch of, of uh, uh, the Magnificent Mile is right outside my door. So I, I'm aware of what was happening. Other than being late, and he was late, and the, the mayor was late, um, what else could you have done? You said you would have been out there. 
can a can a governor can the governor of Illinois preemptively send in the National Guard or does he have to wait for the mayor to ask for it? No, Illinois citizens of Chicago, they are citizens of the state of Illinois first, and they mm-hmm. the whole purpose of of government period mm-hmm. is to protect the people. So no, he should have usurped that and and uh, stepped in and protected people, protected business, protected life, protected assets, protected homes. Uh, Mayor Lightfoot certainly has no problem of protecting herself with law enforcement mm-hmm. today, as we all know. So, so you would preemptively use the National Guard when obviously the, the situation arises. So, so the National Guard should could show up on Michigan Avenue to stop rampant crime. It could stop rampaging teenagers, which is what we've experienced in the last several weeks, including ten people shot the other night at the corner of Chicago and uh, and. Uh, you know, and, and Chicago Avenue and State Street, or you could send the National Guard into the south and west sides of Chicago where there is someone killed every single night, sometimes a dozen people killed every single night. You could do that. Something must be done. And you would do that. People's lives are at stake. I got to spend the night on the rooftop with Corey Brooks prior to uh, mm-hmm. uh, Thanksgiving, and there was a shooting mm-hmm. at 2 a.m. in the morning and a death uh, because of that. So... Uh, I witnessed that firsthand, and it was it was it was concerning and, and scary. Now, the ACLU would argue that maybe you be dis, you might be discriminating against people of color by doing that because you'd be going into their neighborhoods. The South and West Side is primarily black uh, in Chicago. That you would be going into their neighborhoods, and somehow they would be uh, they would be singled out. They would be profiled. Uh, now, that isn't necessarily what the people that live there would be saying, but the ACLU and maybe the, maybe newspaper editorialists would be saying that. How would you respond to that? ACLU, you are the root cause of this problem. Stop it, because the people don't, they're not safe. The whole situation with the sanctuary cities, with not allowing ICE to do their job, with the, uh, the inflow of illegal immigration and the drugs and the guns that are coming in because of that, uh, it's got to be stopped. And facts tell us Data shows facts are that when you have police who are able to do their job, that's how you curb crime. So that is that we have to return to that. What about the role of parents? One thing that Mayor uh, Lightfoot has said is she frequently has talked about the parents and the fact that the parents are not watching over their children. And there are even members of the Chicago City Council, uh, Ray Lopez, who wants to be mayor. He's talked about the role of the parents. The parents are not they're not properly watching over their children. What role does that take? And isn't that a bigger problem to solve than just adding more police or giving them more money? The breakdown of the family is certainly one of the root causes of what's taking place. And I will contend that Mayor Lightfoot and her policies and the Democrat Party and their policies are are encouraging the breakdown of the family. So it's interesting that she would talk about this. It's interesting that the last few days of session this past year that the Democrat Party came along with trailer bills to try to water down the egregious safety act that they brought about because they understand the problem right now and they see the devastation. So yeah, she's dead on, but she's very late to the conversation and she has no solutions. When you come to Chicago, you don't come here very often, do you? Oh, I'm here a lot. Yes, Cindy and I, for the last two years, we've been in Chicago (laughs) a lot. 
And you've been sort of, there was a story that said that you're sort of crash, you have a crash course in Chicagoing. Is that, uh, is that a fair case? Is that a fair? Well, I'm, we are immersing ourselves in the culture. What's your favorite restaurant in Chicago? Uh, is it the uh, Tavern on Rush? Is Tavern one of them. on Rush, okay. I, I, we, we've we've uh, obviously uh, uh, partook of a lot of places, and to sit here, you, you caught me off guard there, but we were. What about, your, what about just other experiences, things that, you know, that people might do in Chicago that, we, that you've done, that you've enjoyed? Oh, absolutely. I lo- we love the people. Uh, just just, just being, uh, going into the small businesses and hearing the stories going well, out to the. What about when you're relaxing, when you're taking Cindy out for, for, hopefully you take her out on a date once in a while. Where do you, where do you go? Do you go? Have you been to the opera? Have you been to the symphony orchestra? Have you been to a we're too big, we, game, a Sox game? Where, where have you been? So in the past, we've come up here many times to see uh, many of the plays, to see musicals, mm-hmm. to see uh, the Blue Man Group. But the last two years, our mission focus has been on Illinois and, and being involved in seeing people. So to take time for entertainment, we haven't been able to do that. I look forward to when those days return. I hope maybe as governor. Well, you but take right, her out on a Saturday night. Hey, she, I'm telling while. you what, she's right there. She, this whole deal. This, you're, you're talking she's, she's to the twenty. Encouraging me. She's in the next room. She's you're talking to the twenty percent. She's the eighty. <laughs> she's the one. She's the one that's eating this up. So we are an amazing team, and and we're loving it. Because four Speaking. children and eleven grandchildren. That's our mission to protect them. Okay. Tell me about your four children. They're all adults? Yes, they are. Tell us who they are and what they do. Awesome. So uh, Zach, our oldest uh, son, is uh, 33, and then Cole is uh, 31. Our daughter Abigail is 28, and our youngest son Mason is 22. Our three sons uh, uh, manage and operate Bailey Family Farm, so they've come back to the farm. Our daughter Abigail is the administrator to Full Armor Christian Academy in our absence. Mm-hmm. So they're all, uh, they're all, they all live near us, and, and we're blessed. And that's our fight, to keep them and our 11 grandchildren in Illinois. We've never left, and we don't intend to. What kind of uh, farm do you have? Row crop, corn, soybeans, and wheat. We farm 12,000 acres. If you've eaten Girl Scout cookies, you've definitely ingested uh, some of I our have, wheat. I have. Uh, and then we have a trucking company and an excavating business. And how long has that been in the Bailey family? Well, my uh, dad started farming in uh, 1964, and uh, I've been growing the farm uh, ever since from there. So Cindy and I were married in 1986. Farming is all I've ever, farming's all I've ever known. So I absolutely love Where'd it. Where'd you meet her? She a Met, farm girl? No, she's not. So, uh, so my dad was uh, president of the school board when I was in eighth grade. Our high school needed a principal. Her dad was hired to be that principal. The summer of 1980, we met at Oil Belt Christian Service Camp. We locked eyes. We've been together ever since. So we've been married for 35 years, but we've been together through high school and two years of a college for a, for a 41 years. So, so a high school sweetheart. High school sweethearts. Yes. This sounds like a Walt Disney movie. <laughs> it is. The, it's been. It's been. It's been better than that. It has been that. I'm blessed. Here's the big question. Okay. Yes. We we talk about a lot of issues. Cubs. Cardinals, White Sox. <laughs> White Sox. Really? Yeah. I, sure? I, I will tell you this. You can get away okay. with that. I thought you were going to say I can Cardinals. get away with that. I think you can get away with it. So if here's say, the deal. If you would have said Cardinals, I said, well. We got 15 men and women that work <clears throat> on the farm with us, yeah. and that's the constant debate. And the, and the argument has always been, well, why wouldn't we support the Cubs or the, or the White Sox? Because they're in Illinois. Obviously, many okay. people from the southern part of the state 
uh, watch car, uh, see the Cardinals. I, I'm going to throw this out there. I've never been to a Cubs or a White Sox game, so if there's someone out there that wants to entertain us and help me uh, help me develop my opinion a little bit you, better. I'll invite <laughs> you to a White Sox game. All right, all right. But you've never been to a White Sox game. I have game. not been. Listen, I'm a worker. I'm a, that's all I've known is hard work. Do you have a favorite player? Do you have a favorite player? No, I don't. I, no, I've always, our, our children, when they played basketball and football, we were engrossed in that, and I just, uh, I'm a worker. I'm focused on, on keeping people safe in Illinois. I'm focused on restoring our schools and what, helping families thrive. What about, I'm going to go back to my original <laughs> question. Yes. My original question, and that is whether or not being, being a, and, and you're, you're a trained farmer, it's in your family. Yes. You have an associate degree in farming, correct? Yes. Okay, whatever that means. I yeah, don't I quite don't. know what that means. Uh, but you were so focused on that, would you have the social connections, not skills, would you have the social connections because of someone that you met playing golf with, they're going to a Sox game with, they're going to the opera with, Chicago-centric movers and shakers, would you have the experience to to roll up your sleeves and go out with them for uh for dessert. Absolutely. Back shortly, okay. that's the answer. Right. I want more on it when we come back. Darren Bailey is our guest. I'm Bruce Dumont. One forty-five over ninety-two. One eighty over one eleven. One hundred and eighty-two over a hundred. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive. But our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces. 
just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back. Uh, we're joined by Darren Bailey. He is uh, running in the Republican primary for governor of Illinois. Uh, wherever Republicans are running this year, uh, Mr. Bailey, uh, People want to know what they did, where were they on January 6th, who did they vote for, and uh, uh, at least in the ads, they've said that, uh, uh, you know, that you're, you're, you're in the pocket of Donald Trump. Are you? Well, I've had two uh, amazing conversations with him in the last five months, so uh, we are patiently anticipating and hoping for an endorsement, and I would certainly take that if it comes. What are those conversations like? What, what is he asking about? Well, he likes to know about Illinois. He knows Illinois is a tough state. He always wants to know where we're at in the race, and he wants to, he asks about other, uh, you know, politicians throughout the state. I asked you earlier whether you've ever met Ken Griffin. Have uh, How many of the other candidates that you're running against now, and there's five others, how many of them do you know personally and did you know prior to this campaign? Uh, Gary Rabine and Paul Shemp, I knew them prior to the campaign, and that is it. I did not know any of the others. And, and those two gentlemen I only knew probably uh, since 2019, since I got involved as a state representative. I didn't know them before that. Richard Irvin is the candidate uh, who is favored by the $50 million man. Uh, his commercials are all over. Uh, if, there's, if you would admit that there's a candidate to beat, it might be him or it might be you. But my question is, if he won the Republican primary, given everything that's been said and done, could you endorse him? No, I couldn't. I've said from day one that the uh, one thing worse than putting Governor Pritzker in for four more years is putting the wrong Republican in. Because if we put someone like Richard Irvin in, the Republican conservative movement, it's gone. This man lies about everything. All you have to do is look at the city of Aurora, the highest taxed city in the nation, their pension system is, is in crisis mode. Uh, he's adamantly supported Black Lives Matter. He's called Trump an idiot. I mean, everything about what this man stands for, yet he tries to spin that off on me. And that's the, that's the game of politics, is spinning that problem off on your opponent. He can't tell the truth. And, and right, he won't tell anyone where he stands out on life. He won't even talk about who he voted for the last election. Uh, this is a disaster in the making, and I think uh, people people are waking up and seeing that. Would you would you acknowledge though that that some people the the, the political operatives that that have sounded uh, and, and and blown in the ear of of uh, of uh, Mr. Griffin, they basically make the case. And here's the here's the case they make: You're from downstate. You're not sophisticated. You're not sophisticated in Chicago ways. Uh, you're going to be like a fish out of water when deals are being put together, and you're too conservative, and you're, you can't win northern Illinois. And to win northern, northern Illinois, which is how most Republican 
governors have won the campaigns in the last several years. Some have been from downstate. You got to run well here, and having an African American, Richard Urban is African American, and by being African American, he suddenly is going to be attractive to black voters, and they're going to rush into the Republican primary to vote for him, or they're going to rush to support him in the fall against Pritzker, and Pritzker will have those votes subtracted from his total, and that African-American will win the general election, and he is the only one that can do it. Now, I think you'd probably acknowledge, because you were kind of nodding as I was going along, that's probably what these guys are whispering in in Griffin's ears. So what sophistication agree? got it? So, so what's, what's the... What part of that isn't true? Yeah, the part about the sophistication. What's okay. that got us? We've got Governor, we've got Pritzker, a, a billionaire. We had Rauner, a billionaire. Uh, look back for the last 30 years, and, and, and what has gotten better in Illinois? Nothing, nothing. People are moving out of this state. People are, are struggling. Business is not moving into our state like it should be. Uh, Governor Pritzker has, when I started running, Illinois had a $32 billion budget. The budget that was just passed is a $46.5 billion budget in five short years. You tell me what is better. All of these people continue to throw money at the problems. They don't stand up and represent the people. They get elected into office, and all of a sudden they try to figure out how they're going to get reelected. Sophistication is killing us. But also, uh, at least several of the most recent Republican governors uh, were from central Illinois. Jim Edgar and uh, and uh, George Ryan, they were from central Illinois, but they they thought like Cook County Democrats. Thank you. You right? nailed it. You nailed it. But they won. Is 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 that the magic? That, that's what I'm saying. Is that the magic that these advisors are looking into? And they're saying, you you know, you may be a great guy. You may be the world's greatest conservative, but they just don't think you're not the guy that's going to get thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands, I don't think that's that's a stretch, of black voters to come and support him in the primary, and they certainly aren't going to vote for you over J.B. Pritzker in the fall. So that's where they're mistaken, because okay. these uh, uh, the African-American community, the, uh, the, the, the Asian community, the Hispanic community, all of these ethnic groups, they're struggling, and they're tired. They know they need something different. For the last two years, Cindy and I have been in their churches. We've been in the communities. We've been listening to the stories. We just have to look back to what Virginia did, what Ohio did. People, people, the grassroots movement, the people. Again, uh, J.B. Pritzker, uh, Mr. Irvin, uh, their campaign managers, they have no idea what lies outside of the typical establishment. The typical establishment of both parties have failed us, and people are tired of that. I come from somewhere that speaks their language. I'm a farmer. I know that I can't spend any more than what I make or I'm losing money and I go broke. And, and I've been conveying that message for two years. I've been standing up representing their values. And I think that's what's going to win the day in Illinois. You mentioned Corey Brooks earlier in the interview. For those listening around the country, they may not know that name. It's a relatively well-known name in the Chicagoland area. Tell everybody who he is and why he is important to you. And is he endorsing you? Uh, so interest. So Pastor Corey Brooks is a uh, 
is an amazing man on the south side of Chicago, has a, a church, New uh, gosh, New Hope, I believe, New Beginnings. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's been spending time out on the roof uh, to, to raise awareness for a, a community uh, advancement program to bring people in who, who are struggling in life, who might not be able to afford or go to college, teach them basic principles to be a cook, to, to get a job as a, in HVAC, plumbing, electric, it's amazing. So he's been uh, trying to raise awareness to, to build this uh, $35 million project. And um, uh, we've had several meetings with him. He's established several meetings with other area pastors that Cindy and I and our team have been able to sit and have a conversation with and listen to the, the plight of their problem going back many, many you know uh, administrations back. And every administration has failed Chicago and the South Side. So no, we haven't received his endorsement. I actually set in on in the Chicago Tribune endorsement, and again, uh, Mr. Irvin told those people that he had Corey's uh, endorsement. That shocked me. Uh, we uh, we texted him and asked him uh, last uh, last Wednesday, and he said no, he hasn't given his endorsement out. Again, Mr. Irvin cannot open his mouth out without telling the, the truth. He just struggles with that. So I have no idea where Mr. Brooks is, where Pastor Brooks's endorsement is going to lie. In looking at the crime and the, the inability of some parents to keep track of or control their teenagers, uh, which, which is apparent to anyone that watches television in Chicago because they see what happens with, with teenagers who are out of control, um, to what extent does the does the clergy, does the black clergy, have some responsibility in that they've missed the boat? They really haven't. They haven't added too much regarding the solution to the problems in Chicago. Well, groups like the ALC, ACLU and Planned Parenthood and the Illinois Education mm-hmm. Association and Chicago's Teachers Union, they've added to this problem. They've compounded this, and 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 the community, from what we're hearing. Uh, they're they're ready, you know, to do something. That the government is not the answer, and that's actually one of the that's actually one of the conversations we had. They mm-hmm. told us how several years ago uh, they earned a grant. One of the civic groups earned a ten million dollar grant from the state of Illinois. But by the time that ten million dollars was filtered through uh, the United Way and other organizations, uh, less than a million dollars actually hit the need of our street because mm-hmm. of needless administration and bureaucracy. So. That's that's what I've offered. That's why we're immersing ourselves into the church to partner with the, the church and civic groups to take our state back, to take our children back, and restore the family. That's been my message for two plus years. When you review your life, what's been the toughest day in your life? The toughest day in my life. I actually had two of them. It's whenever I uh, kicked uh, one of my uh, two of my children out of the house because they weren't living. Uh, to the standards that uh, that we thought, and 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 I gave them multiple chances. But the beauty of that was when I when I when I dismissed them from our place, uh, when they came back, they were stronger and more productive than ever. And and that was the, that's the toughest day because raising the children, raising our four children, are our greatest uh, pride and, and and accomplishments in our life. What was it that they did that they that disappointed them to the point where you kicked them out? Well, they just simply weren't being obedient. I, I believe that, and it's the same way with our law system today. Mm-hmm. You know, when criminals are breaking laws and they're not held accountable, uh, I, I, I believe in that, you know, if you're going to live under my house, you're going to have to be obedient. And, 
and they were making decisions that were against, uh, you know, our, uh, you know, uh, Cindy and I's rules that we laid down. We gave them multiple chances, and and uh, they didn't follow it. So it's it, so I believe in that. That was the only last option we had. So. Should should parent? The question is this, and then we do have to break. Should parents, who are the parents of some of these rampaging students and, and or, or citizens that we see, should they be held accountable in some way to society? For the lack of their children's uh, upbringing and, and, and how they demonstrate in an antisocial way. That's the question. Darren Bailey's answer in a moment. Jill, why don't you tell the class what you did this weekend? Well, my dad and I went in search of some magical minnows and found a zillion of them in the stream from our lookout rock. Then my sister and I escaped from an evil slug king and went back to my super twig fort for safety. Then we told stories till it got dark and the Big Dipper led us all the way home. Where were you, Jill? We went to the forest. It's not that far away. Ask your parents to take you and your friends to the forest this week. It's closer than you think. Check out discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Song again. Here's that song again. For the hundredth time today, here's that song again. It's gonna be stuck in your head all day. Here's that song again. It will make you cray cray. You love your kids enough to watch that TV show a bajillion times. Love them enough to make sure they're in the right car seat for their age and size. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. We're 
We're back talking with Darren Bailey. He is a state senator from uh, downstate Illinois, and he wants to be uh, the Republican candidate for uh, governor against J.B. Pritzker, and the primary is at the end of June, June 28th. And uh, uh, part of the discussion about you, the, the spots that are on the air, are you with Trump, are you against Trump? Um, Trump has not endorsed you yet. Why do you think it's taking him so long? Because there's, isn't, there's some controversy about there as to how big a Trump supporter you were, that you might have been a little reluctant, maybe you raised your eyebrow at the wrong time, and people have viewed that in a negative way. Is that? No, that's is, not what's, accurate. What's I've the, always what's been the a, concern? No, I, I've always been a Trump supporter. Uh, Even when there were 16 people? Oh, yeah. yeah I've you were an original been, Trumpster. Yeah, yeah, I've always been. As a matter of fact, in 2020, I was a Trump delegate. So, What, what was it about Trump that uh, caught on? In the body politic. Well, I, I don't know that I was terribly involved during the primary. We watched mm-hmm. that play out. I, I, uh, I, I like I said, I, I don't know that I was very involved in that. But uh, just the fact that as I began to see him stand apart, it's kind of sometimes people refer to me as the uh, Trump of Illinois without the uh, brashness of my messaging. I think mm-hmm. my messaging is a lot more, you know, under control. Uh, just simply the business mindset and the common sense and the fact that uh, when I began to realize that the establishment, you know, that the Republican establishment both nationally and here in the state of Illinois is actually the problem because of weak leadership, I began to realize that we need someone that's outside of that, uh, that, uh, that, that to create a movement. And that's what he did. And that's actually what we're doing here in Illinois. And uh, would he be your choice to run in 2024? If he runs, I'll support him. But and, I'm and to what and to what extent is it important that people know what really happened on January 1st? How much more digging should there be on that subject? I don't know. I haven't paid much attention to that because we have been so focused in this. You know, if there if someone broke the law, they need held accountable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and but I know there's uh, nobody's been charged of terrorism. Uh, people have been. Uh, you know, convicted, and, and people have also been acquitted. So um, I'm, I don't know. In the last several years since J.B. Pritzker was elected governor of Illinois, uh, Illinois has uh, passed some very restrictive uh, abortion laws, a very liberal abortion laws. Um, casino gambling is coming to Chicago. Marijuana is legalized throughout the state. That would not have been happening without Pritzker was very involved in that. So abortion, legalized marijuana, casino gambling. Is that the Illinois you want to lead? <laughs> I don't think that's the Illinois that a lot of people want. We want to see business. We want to see good-paying jobs come in Illinois. We don't want Isn't to be— there good business? Isn't there good business in that? Oh, well, I, I, I think people want, to, people want to work uh, and, and earn a good-paying job and produce something. You know, we, If we're going to be an America-first— Country, we need to start producing things here in the United States instead of buying them from China. Would those things change if you were governor? Well, would you would you aggressively pursue legislation that would affect either the expansion of abortion, uh, a reduction in legalized marijuana, or a secession or a reduction in casino gambling? Well, the gambling and the uh, the marijuana are, aren't our priorities right now. Those are those have been legalized, and we'll we'll uh, we'll just have to monitor those and and w- watch what the repercussions. You know, I personally don't agree with those, but but they are. Uh, you know, the industry is established. However, let's talk about abortion a little bit. The fact that over fifty thousand abortions are paid for by our tax dollars 
no one in Illinois is is in favor of that. Whenever we're and and so ending taxpayer funded abortion is a day one agenda. Uh, I also like to make the comment. You know, I've been endorsed by all of the pro life, uh, pro family groups in Illinois. Mm-hmm, I'm the right. only one that holds that endorsement. And as I talk to them, and we talk about the true solutions, uh, always making abortion illegal. That's not necessarily the solution. Making abortion unnecessary and working with the churches like Pastor uh, Brooks and churches and civic organizations across the state and doing something new that no state in the nation has been able to accomplish yet, uh, that's how we make a better life for everyone. Who is the best governor Illinois has had in your lifetime? You know what? I'm going to stand here and tell you that I don't know. I think they've all been failures. There's no one that I can look at and feel proud of because Illinois has went downhill completely. Our pension crisis has grown out of control. I go to the state workers. I go to the state police officers. So you you blame that uh, on on Thompson and Edgar as well as on any Democrat? Well, Edgar was the one that, yeah, Edgar created the pension problem with the pension ramp. Mm -hmm. I suppose that I I don't know enough about the Thompson. I was in grade school then, so... (laughs) Uh, so, so yeah, in my lifetime, I can't point to anyone who I have confidence in, and that's why we're running. Who's the worst? Who's the worst governor? Is it the current one? Yeah, thank you. Pr- governor Pritzker would certainly okay. be, and uh, he's already been rated as the worst governor in the nation today. Now, as, as a Christian, by whom? By, I'll, I'll have to look at that. I've read that many <laughs> times, so thank you. Okay. Uh, a question to you is, you're a Christian. As you look at J.B. Pritzker... Is there anything about him, is there a trait about him that you can admire and say, you know what, we're on, we're on opposite sides here, but on this issue, I can understand him. Not really. Really? No, I, I can't find. He, this man has destroyed our state. He's destroyed society. He's destroyed our schools, Does our children's the, futures. In his TV commercials, he talks in a very uh, sad way about the death of his mother when he was eight years old. And she was an alcoholic. Does that spot affect you in any way? The Democrats are amazing at pulling the uh, the emotion string. I see it every day in the House and on the Senate floor. I see it all the time. They go to emotions and they pull these strings. I don't know enough about the truth behind that, but from what I've seen and the lack of truth and transparency from him, I'm going to have to dig in. Yes, I have seen that ad, and, and yes, it pulls at your heartstrings. But to the extent of... Uh, how true it is, I don't know because I don't trust the man. If there's one thing people should remember about this interview come the 28th of June, what should it be? That I am the person, the only person that's going to stand up for the people. They they got a track record. I sued the governor. I walked out, got kicked out on the mask mandate. I've been standing for the people. I cannot be bought. I will not waver. We need a new day in Illinois, and I'm that person. That's Darren Bailey. He's a White Sox fan. Will you come to a White Sox game with I will. your governor? I will. Yes. Can I sit in the fancy yes. box? I'll be right Sherry there with Ryan you. Sherry Reinsdorf will give deal. us a fancy box at that point. Chris Goldman helped make this program possible. I'm Bruce Dumont. Good night from Chicago. One forty-five over ninety-two. One eighty over one eleven. One hundred and eighty-two over a hundred, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact 
of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces, just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council.